and not get fried in life. We're looking at Revelation chapter 11 tonight. And Revelation chapter 11 did not go as I hoped. I'll be honest with you. So far, we have been looking at the book of Revelation with two guideposts. Guidepost number one. What is the message that John, through inspiration, wanted to convey to the first and second century church? Guidepost number two. How can we take that message and make application to you and me today? And so far, up through chapter 10, I have been happy with the result. I don't know about you, but I've been happy because I believe what we've been doing here in this study, it makes sense. It all works together. Then came chapter 11. You see, I work ahead. Uh, I'm usually three to five sermons ahead. Now, I don't do the PowerPoints until the week that I preach it, but I write this material three to five sermons ahead. When I came to chapter 11, knowing what's coming up in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, I had a problem. I went through one revision, two revisions, the third revision, and I said, okay, I'm just going to put it back and I'll work on it next week. Came back to it and it still didn't work because I had a problem with one verse, just one verse. Actually, I only had a problem with one number in that one verse. Finally, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till I get to heaven. I'm going to go to John and say, John, what did you mean by that number? Because I still don't know what that number means. So we're going to get to that verse here shortly. And when we get to that verse, I'm just going to tell you, I do not know what it means. I have no idea what it means and it doesn't make sense to me. So we all can wait till we get to heaven and each one of us can ask John what he meant by that number. Now, as we look at Revelation chapter 11, I still believe in spite of my troubles with that one verse, I still believe that this chapter has a great message of hope for the first century Christian and for you and me today. And it starts in verse 1. And to really illustrate this, I've got to go back to my childhood days. Scott, I wish I could tell you that I was a perfect child growing up. I wasn't. I wasn't. I had a problem growing up. I sometimes complained and murmured. You see, I went to a Christian school, a school affiliated with the church, 
And in that school, I was probably from uh, the family at the very low bottom end of the economic scale. My fellow students, classmates, came from much wealthier families. And nobody in my class had to work. In fact, nobody in my class even had to mow the yard to say nothing about having to drive a tractor and work on the farm. And there was occasions growing up when I just complained to my mother, why do I have to do that? Why am I the only one that has to come in from school and get on a tractor and work? I know no one else does in my class. Why do I have to do it? How did my mother handle it? Well, she could have just said, Michael, quit that. But that probably wasn't the way to handle it with me. What she would do is she would start singing a song. She would start singing a song. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. And she'd say, what blessings do you have, Michael? What blessings do you have, son? And I'd look down, oh, I, I don't know. Um, I've got parents that love me. Hey, that's a blessing. Um, I've always got food on the table. That's a blessing. And, and she would have me go through. She wouldn't, you know, she would not stop. She would have me go through and name at least a dozen blessings. What was she doing? She was causing me to realize what I had. Realize the things that I had that some of my classmates did not have. Because some of my classmates did not have a good family life. And I knew it. And, and some of my classmates had problems at home and, 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 and I knew it. And then I, I didn't have all that. So I was really a very fortunate person. Here in chapter 11, God, as God is getting John ready to encourage those first century Christians when he would send this letter to them, he has, them, he has John to do something here. Look at verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure. Let's see what we got, John. Count your blessings, John. What do we have? Measure the temple of God. Now, what's the temple of God? That's the church. You know, the temple in Jerusalem had long gone been destroyed by the Romans. We're talking about the church here. Measure the church. How strong is the church? How big is the church? Rise and measure the temple of God. This word temple here is a special word, unique word. The early church needed to hear this and, and so do we. The, the temple here is a word that means the holy place. We're talking about inside. We're talking about those who are faithful to him. Guess what, folks? You have God's protection because you're part of his holy church. 
You have been separated out. You have been called out. Yes, I know. Yes, in the first century, things were not going well. Nero had started the persecution against the, the Christians, but it was more localized under Nero. But when Domitian came to the throne in 81 AD, we had empire-wide persecution that continued for approximately 15 years under his reign. And, and yes, it looked bad. But John is told to measure the church. See how strong she is. See how big she is. Look at the altar. Measure the altar. That's worship. And those who worship there, see who worships there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it. That's the world out there. The courtyard of the Gentiles, that's going to be the world out there. That's the Romans. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. What's 42 months? That's three and a half years. Seven is the perfect number, one of the perfect numbers Half of seven, three and a half is imperfect. It's not going to last. This is not going to be lasting. It's going to be short time. But for a while, it's going to look like the other side is winning. So be prepared. But don't forget what you have. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Revelation verse 3, and I'll give power to my two witnesses. Why two? Because remember in the Old Testament, uh, testimony had to be validated by two or more witnesses. So who or what is this two witnesses? It's the church. We are witnesses for him. We are walking billboards for him. First century church, don't forget, you are walking billboards for the Lord. 21st century church, we are walking billboards for the church. And I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 1,260 days. A Hebrew calendar is 360 days. So what is that? That's 42 months. That's three and a half years. Once again, imperfect. It's not going to last. It will stop. But for a while, yeah, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a test of your faith. Will you remain faithful to him? Verse 4. Let's notice the witness of these two. These, these two witnesses. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Now, that's a reference back to the book of Daniel, to a prophecy from Daniel. Standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. 
You think about God's people going all the way back to the Old Testament and how that God had always provided, had always stood up for his people. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Does that remind you of a prophet from the Old Testament? It should, prophet Elijah. And they had power over water to turn them to blood. Remember Moses in Egypt? And to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. What are we saying here, John? We are saying that God's people will always be protected by God. We're talking about spiritual protection. Will things go against us? Will we have trials and troubles? Yes. It's not always easy. But we are the victors. We win. Always. We win. Let's continue. Verse 7. When they finished their testimony, the beast, the devil, that ascends out of the bottomless pit, will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. It will look like the church has lost. If you look at the last years of Domitian's reign, and then you go into the second century and see what the Roman emperors did then, against the Christians, it doesn't look good at all. In fact, it looks really bad, really bad. But don't worry, we win. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. What's that? That's Rome, the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord, that would be Jerusalem, was crucified. So we got Sodom, world seduction. You think about the seductive power of Sodom from the Old Testament. Rome had that on their side to draw away Christians and to cause them to be unfaithful. You've got world persecution. Think about how the, the children of Israel were persecuted in Egypt. Rome used persecution to shake the foundation of faith for those early Christians. And we got the misuse of religion. Rome had their various religions, their various gods that they worship that was so attractive. Rome, that great city, was doing all they could to pull the Christians from God. But the ones who stayed faithful, they were the real victors in all of that. Then those from the people, the tribe, the tongues, the nations, they'll see their dead bodies three and a half days. Once again, imperfect, it's short-lived, it won't last. And not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets, circle this word, tormented. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. 
they will torment those who dwell on the earth. We have a lot of documents from the Roman Empire days. We have one document that Domitian himself sent to one of his governors over one of the provinces. In that document, when you read it, you can almost hear his laughter. You can almost see him laughing with delight. Because why? He is saying, we have essentially rubbed them out. We have eliminated those Christians. Don't worry, you won't have the problem anymore. We have got rid of them. Rome, according to him, was more powerful than the church. He was so wrong. He was so wrong. The early church. They needed to hear this and so do we today. Rome is tormented. Look at that word tormented by the witness of the church. The church today needs to do the same. So what can I do during trials and troubles? Be a witness for the Lord. If you are feeling down if you are feeling overcome, if you, if you are ready to give up, it's time for you to get in the game and be a witness for the Lord. These early Christians were certainly the witness for Jesus. They were the witness for His church. And we need to do the same today. Because friends, remember, the devil has nothing good to offer that will last. He has nothing good to offer that will last. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. When they thought the church was down and out, when the church was at its very lowest during the Roman Empire days, it came back. And do you know where it came back the strongest? Among the Romans' own soldiers. We see, we see Rome's own soldiers, second century, third century, fourth century, becoming believers. Isn't that remarkable? That Rome's own soldiers would make a decision to what? To believe in this Jesus. You know, we have, we have those like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 who believed and became a Christian. But he was just the first in line. Actually, we have, we have documented evidence that whole groups of soldiers I would call them platoons. That was not actually the word that they used, but I would call them platoons. But groups of soldiers actually were converted to the Lord. 
Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. The Roman Empire saw many of those soldiers that were supposed to be fighting for Rome become soldiers for the Lord. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. Here it comes. 7,000. 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Why 7,000? I don't know. I, I could explain it to you if it was 6,000. I could explain it to you if it was 3,500. But why 7,000? Because 7,000, a multiple of seven, is perfect. Because when I tried to explain it, and then we get into later chapters, it doesn't fit. So, join with me when we all get to heaven. Let's go to John and ask him why 7,000. Because I don't know. Let's continue on. At least I'm honest. I don't know. Let's continue on. The early church needed to hear this, by the way, and so do we. The message of the two witnesses. What's the message of the two witnesses? Keep on proclaiming God's word. Keep on proclaiming God's word. So how do we proclaim God's word? Well, we can proclaim God's word by giving a person a Bible. That's true. We can proclaim God's word by inviting them to worship service. That's proclaiming God's word. But the most powerful way that you and I proclaim God's word is through our example. Can people see why you believe? Can people see your faith being demonstrated daily? Can people see your hope that you have? That's how we proclaim God's word. Now, the seventh trumpet will be shared here in Revelation chapter 11, 15 through 19. I'll say next time, okay, because that will tie in with uh, our next chapter. We'll also uh, talk about what this trumpet is. It's going to be depicted later as seven bowls of wrath. We'll talk more about that when that comes up. But we have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, perfection, other words, God's judgment is absolute, it's total and irrevocable. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a God who has given you every opportunity and you turn your back on him. For the first century Christian who turned their back and went back to the world, no hope. For us today, 
if we ever turn our back and walk away, there's no hope. The early church needed to hear this and so do we. Let's wrap up by looking at verse 19. Then the temple of God was open in heaven. The temple, the church, it's open for all to see. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. It's out there in the open. You can see it. And there were lightning, noise, thundering, earthquake, and great hail. We'll talk more about that coming up in our study. Meanwhile, let me ask you a question. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready to claim that victory that John is promising here in the book of Revelation? Are you a Christian? If you are a Christian, are you living where people can see that you're a Christian? Do you need to seek his forgiveness? The early church, they had the opportunity. You can either stay faithful or not. Today, we have the opportunity. We can either stay faithful or not. The church here is ready to pray for you and with you. If you have any need to respond, will you please do so as we stand and sing for your encouragement. When we walk with